Hey everybody, the bonus episode that you're about to listen to is from a show that I hosted for a few months called the Newbie Photographer Podcast. And interestingly enough, the principles that are especially important for new photographers are honestly just about as important for established photographers who've been in the business for 10 or 20 years. And so on that note, whether you need a refresher, a reminder, or just an encouragement to continue to apply these principles more consistently in your business, I hope you'll find value in this episode. Thanks so much for listening and let's get on to the show. Amazing. I love it. You're, I love how much you're doing. You're always helping the community. So thank you for that as well. Oh, that's super kind of you. We are doing a lot and the challenge of it is fun. But as you know, being a photography business owner, you have to draw a line somewhere. And this was one of those lines yeah. that we realized we needed to draw for the sake of our sanity. Um, but I think from a from an educational standpoint, certainly a brand standpoint, even it actually made sense really to just kind of focus on one podcast because the principles really are applicable across the board. You've probably found this too, Kim. Like I would say 80 to 90 percent really of the principles that drive a healthy and successful photography business, they're applicable to both new photographers and established photographers. And actually, really, the bigger issue is that and I've certainly been guilty of this. Not every photography business owner out there is actually applying those principles consistently. They'll, they'll be like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. I heard it on a podcast or read it in a book, but they're not actually doing it, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's There's always ways to make your business better and mm -hmm. fine tune it. And I think some, you know, of course there are some uh, tips that are better for when you're starting out, but- sure can always, always room for improvement. Yeah. Well, and that's that five to 10% that I'm kind of alluding to there, There's certainly, I, I get some of the conversation may seem super, super basic for some, but then that's also where I think established photographers kind of get in trouble a bit because, because they've heard that thing before, because they're constantly taking in podcasts and reading books. And it's easy to just say, well, I've heard that before and then move on. But the question is, are yes. we applying these principles? And many, if not most of them, again, that 80 to 90% that does the majority of the heavy lifting for our businesses, are we actually applying them? Are we applying them consistently? It's easy to talk about it. It's easy to say, I read this book or listen to this podcast, but are we actually doing it? And that's what I want to encourage everybody with and also remind myself of in the process. <laughs> so anyway, I'll get off that horse. Um, what, what I'd love to do is just give you the opportunity for those who didn't get to hear your first episode, which by the way, was newbie podcast episode eight, uh, a couple months or so ago. Um, I want, <laughs> I would love for you to just briefly introduce your brand before we get into the conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Nathan. Um, I'm so happy to be back. My name is Kim Kovacic. I'm a photographer and stop motion artist in Chicago. Um, I specialize in creating short form content for social media and digital ads. Uh, and kind of shoot everything from food to editorial to products to fashion, travel, video, the list goes on. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, a lot of different things. And what we're actually going to get into today for anybody who hasn't seen the title is how you've also been using your phone as part of the professional work that you're doing with your photography business. That's very exciting for those of you that are, well, listening or or live streaming currently with us. I'm just going to pop this up on screen, but if you do go to Kim Kovacic, so it's spelled K-I-M-K-O-V-A-C-I-K.com, you can check out Kim's work there on her website. You can follow her at the same uh, tag on Instagram. And of course, we'll link to both of these in the show notes at, well, <laughs> actually it's going to be at bocapodcast.com. It's getting ready to be <laughs> um, just for the sake of clarity and uh, hopefully minimizing the amount of confusion in this process of, of 
kind of converging or merging the two brands. But Kim, we are talking today about how to use our phones on a professional level to photograph for clients. And you and I actually had the, the opportunity just not very long ago to chat on the phone a little bit about this topic and kind of pick each other's brains and, and share our perspectives on it a little bit. But phones over the, the last, in particular the last two, three, maybe four years or so, the, the technology on the cameras on these phones has improved quite significantly. I mean, they were pretty good even seven, eight years ago, but where they're at right now is kind of mind boggling. What's your, I guess, what was kind of your introductory experience in using the camera on your phone? Was most of it just personal in nature? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I, so I guess one of the things that got me into photography is Instagram. Um, and specifically like early 2010s, like Instagram when everything was popping off, brands were on there, influences were on there. Um, and a lot of people were using their phone to like do content, even like, you know, established photographers. And so I, that's kind of, as I was getting into photography, I was looking up to these people, um, especially at the time, like I was really young. And so, um, you know, looking up to people who weren't shooting with this expensive gear that I definitely couldn't afford. Uh, it was amazing that they were getting like the brands that they were getting. And I was lucky enough early on to work with someone. Uh, his name is Nathan Michael. He um, shot everyone from like BMW to Amex, Wendy's, McDonald's, like truly an incredible person. Um, but he did it all with his phone. Wow. And yeah, like I said, as like early on in my career in college, watching someone shoot these big brands and, you know, pull their phone out of their pocket was crazy and so inspirational. Oop, there we go. Hit the wrong button. Um, if the, <laughs> I guess the preconception has been there for so long though, that these phones were also just like a, almost like a side note. So the idea that Nathan is shooting all these campaigns with his phone, and we're going to talk about this just to break the fourth wall a little bit, but you just did the same thing as well is maybe kind of a mind-boggling concept to some photographers. Like plenty of people would probably admit to the fact that these things have gotten pretty good. But then when you start talking about using them as a professional tool to be compensated financially for using your camera or the camera on your phone to photograph for a client, that is a different conversation. I think people kind of innately have this preconception about the notion that this is just like an amateur thing. Like, oh yeah, that's cool and that's great for Instagram, but... You photograph professionally with your phone. What's that about? What, why do you think there is that, I, I guess, that mentality, that attitude about it? Yeah, another good question. Um, I, I think as photographers, and I'm like guilty of this as well, that we get obsessed with perfection, you know, and we get obsessed with the top quality gear. I mean, how many times have we heard photographers, including ourselves, like talk, like obsessing about like the best gear, or the new gear that comes mm -hmm. out and don't get me wrong. Like I shoot in raw too. Like I understand that good gear can make a big difference and you know, you want to shoot with big files, you know, just in case, but it always never made sense to me that if, if we know this video or this photo is going on Instagram, like why are we shooting it in 4k and then compressing the crap out of it? Like it <laughs> yeah. makes no sense. It's and true. so I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is that like, it's not about the gear, it's about the idea. And you can make great work with, you know, not the best gear or your iPhone, but a good idea. But if you have a bad idea, 
then, well, now you just have a bad idea in 4K. That is beautiful. I, I love the way that you frame <laughs> that. And actually, it really reminds me of something. And I, I want to say, I, I hope I'm remembering this correctly. I want to say it was Gary Vaynerchuk that was talking about the significance of, you know, there's a lot of conversation around AI right now, too. And mm -hmm. what essentially the point that he made was that if you don't have a great idea, AI doesn't really matter that much. I mean, if, if anybody who's listening in or watching has played with any of the AI tools, we know they're certainly far from perfect. And in order to be able to use them most effectively, you have to at least have a baseline understanding of what it is that you're doing in order to even leverage them most effectively. And it, I think it holds very similar, or it holds true in the context of this conversation, which is that in, if you don't have, and kind of throwing back to, to what Gary said, if you don't have a great idea to start with, um, or you don't even have a baseline understanding of how to use that fancy camera that you spent $5,000 for and then the $3,000 lens on top of that, then it doesn't really matter that much in the end. It does need to start with a good idea. And if you've got a good idea and you have a sound technical understanding of how to use whatever the tool is, then yeah, you're in a much better place to create a really beautiful finished product. Absolutely, could not agree more. <laughs> well, and, and I have to make this reference. I'm gonna go full screen just for a second, Kim, here. I mean, oop, I'm gonna flip this around. There we go. Uh, who's live streaming. So I'm trying to point, let's see, this direction. It's, I think, mirrored backwards. But you can see anybody who's live streaming with us right now in back of me uh, is my kitchen here in my apartment. And right where I'm pointing is a refrigerator that has a bunch of snapshots on it. And Kim, those snapshots, you and I may have talked about this in the phone the other day too, but those snapshots, I think 100% of them actually were taken with a phone. And some of them, you know, phones from like five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years ago, and they're imperfect color-wise. They're probably blurry in some cases, certainly lower resolution. Mm -hmm. And they're just they're anything but perfect. And yet, they're some of my favorite photos. It's not about the technical quality of those images as much as the, the significance of the individual moments that were captured at that point. And I think it's, it's really easy as professional photographers to kind of lead with a certain amount of ego, whether it's conscious or subconscious, which is I've got this fancy camera and I have this training and I have these certificates and these awards and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that is what matters, what, what photographers might say, when you know 95% of the images that we own and appreciate and look at on a regular basis on our day, in our day-to-day -day lives, whether we're professional photographers or certainly the end consumers, they're from these things right here. And those mm -hmm. are the photos that we hold so dear and we don't really care that they're not perfect. It's just, it matters that we have them. And so I'm, I'm just wondering what it will take for the professional photography world to begin to at least be a little bit more open-minded to that thought process. Do you think it's going to take some time or do you think it'll happen more quickly now? I don't know. I mean, I think people are starting to wise up to it, um, that you can like, you can create this stuff. And I, uh, you know, with not, with anything that you have on hand. Um, but I don't know, I think it'll take some time, but I think the most important thing to keep in mind that just remember the realness of it all. Like, you know, idea, like remember the human element um, and that's what people really want. You know, whether it's ideas, whether it's memories or whether it's, you know, it's, you can only do so much with a camera. And I feel like most of our favorite photos, if we think of that, whether it's even by like a, you know, an artist or not just our own family photos, it's photos that spoke to that like human element or that realness element rather than, oh, wow, they retouched that so perfectly that, you know, it doesn't even look real. <laughs> yeah, uh, you actually make a really great point. And that is the differentiating factor. It's the human element 
to it. Um, mm-hmm. I was as much as I am so impressed with some of the AI technology that has been developed, even in the last two or three months, what we're seeing. I was actually playing with it the other day, using it for something the other day. And what I realized is as much as this particular, I was using ChatGPT at, at the time, as much as that particular platform and tool is super powerful and really, really impressive in the way that it can generate copy, what was missing from it was the personal element. And yeah. I, as, as much as I wanted to use the copy that it was generating, and, and it was certainly well-written copy, the flip side of that is that there was no personal element to it. And for the purposes at that time that I was uh, creating this particular content, this piece of content, I really needed to kind of, uh, what's the word? Uh, I guess apply ultimately my personal story to that content in order for it to be what I felt was most impactful for its purpose. And it's one thing to be able to generate text, this kind of objective, cold, robotic text that certainly carries appropriate information or even accurate information, but it's another thing to add the personal element to it, particularly our personal story. These bots, uh, they can't tell our personal story, and we all know the significance of the impact of our personal story when it comes to not only telling a story, but also creating art. Totally. And I think, um, you know, we'll talk about a little bit about this later on too, but people are so good at sniffing that stuff out now. I mean, we're constantly inundated with like, you know, commercialized stuff. And like now with AI, I feel like everyone's like questioning, like what's real, what's not real. Right. And yeah, I, I think more than ever, we're all just craving that human real connection. Hmm. Yeah, and, and and in order to have that, I mean, it really, it's not as important to have a $10,000 setup or $1,000 setup. It's the human element that we can kind of build into that that matters the most. I, I love that perspective. You know, I was, I was listening, I was actually on Facebook earlier today, and I, I saw a photographer, one who's relatively well-known in the community, commenting that photography as we know it has changed. And there was a lot more text that came or copy that came before that. But it was obviously written, and it seemed to be anyway, written in a very negative tone. You know, photography as mm-hmm. we've known it has changed. We have these AI uh, image generators, and it just kind of takes everything, that, that the magic out of photography, this kind of thing. And it, it sounded kind of like the, the shift that I saw back in the day when we went from film to digital. And people were talking poorly uh-huh. about digital photography. In fact, I remember uh, when my ex and I got married, it's kind of a funny story, but we, we hired this particular photographer um, at the time who, I mean, this is 2000, so it was, it was film photography. And uh, he photographed our wedding. And long story short, it was, a, it was a very bad experience. But later on, somehow we managed to get connected with him within the context of a photography forum. And there was, it became very obvious that he actually uh, looked down on digital photography. And when we went to his website at that point in time, we'd already had this bad experience. But this just kind of further built on who this individual was. We went to his photography website, and as you're scrolling through the website, you saw this big round uh, red circle with the line through it. You know, like the Ghostbusters, I don't know, what do they call it, the the stop sign or whatever? Mm -hmm. And behind that red circle with the line through it was a pixelated image, and the caption that went with the image was no digital. As in, like... This is something that you should hire him because he's not shooting digitally, he's shooting in film. And there was that mentality. I mean, I remember this uh, it, at that point, this is probably 2003, 2004, 2005, somewhere in that realm. 
this was kind of the attitude that, that you saw about digital photography. And we all know what happened. We see what happened to digital photography. That is, that is the mainstream and it's, it's incredible. But there was this attitude toward change and the shift in the industry. Um, a, a story that I've told on one of my podcasts before as well is there was a, a lab here, a print lab here in Chattanooga. And I ordered prints. We ordered prints for them nonstop, especially back when we were shooting film and we needed to actually have physical proofs. And mm -hmm. that lab owner, I would go in and he started griping about how the industry was shifting and, and now we're going to these online galleries. And, and he was just complaining nonstop, griping about how terrible this was. And finally, I, one day I just said, look, you can keep griping, but it's, it's not helping you. You need to actually change. You need to realize the industry is shifting. It's changing and figure out how to go with that flow or you're going to be in trouble. And sure enough, they went out of business, mm -hmm. um, not because there wasn't business opportunity for them to continue to make prints in, in various forms, but he also couldn't continue to function with that kind of backwards mentality, this, this putting a wall up to the notion of change and shifting industry. And so I think it's important that we keep a super open mind to the idea that, hey, this industry as we know it now, it may look different in a month or a year or in 10 years. And we have to be okay with that or we're just going to get lost in the mix. 100%. I feel like the photographers that I know that are the most successful are extremely nimble. And, you know, I get too that there's, there's always new tech coming out. There's seemingly always a new social platform or like something else we need to be doing on top of all the other stuff that we're doing. But, and, and you know, and that can, that can burn yourself out. I'm not saying, oh, you have to jump on every single new thing. But I think instead of having like a little mini heart attack, anytime something new or something in the industry changes, yeah, I would look at it as like a creative challenge, you know, like there, there, you might be very interested in it or find a new medium or find a new way of thinking or doing that you're like, wow, that's really fun. I, I mean, even just speaking for myself, I definitely was a photographer or like photography is my primary thing, but I do a lot of video now because, well, I mean, it, Instagram is a video platform now or, you know, whatever. Sure. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's, I, I do end up really liking video and, um, yeah, I'm not going to be creating movies or like short films or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I got really into stop motion and that's like very adjacent to photography and, uh, it exercises my brain in a different way that I think does make my photography better. So yeah, I think view it as a challenge view. It is don't always be so against, you know, all the new stuff that's going on. Yeah. And of course, like any conversation, it's not an extreme one go one way or the other. I mean, we can keeping an open, like having awareness, number one, and then ultimately having an open mind and, and framing it as an opportunity, not this thing that we have to be afraid of or immediately put down because it's different than what we're used to. Mm -hmm. uh, but keep an open mind, develop a certain amount of awareness and see the opportunity. I mean, you just described that that very idea, which was you, you noticed that social media in particular was shifting toward video and its popularity. And so naturally, it made sense that you at least spend part of your time developing video or shooting video, understanding that that carries some significance in our culture at this point. That, that totally makes sense. And I think that's a great example of what we're talking about. You know, we I think we laugh when we, we think about either our parents or close friends or family who are, who are a bit older. And they talk about, you know, the things the kids are doing these days and they look down mm -hmm. on unchange and we make fun of that. And yet at the same time, then we go do that same thing. We behave in that same way when we're <laughs> laughing at or putting down this technology as our industry and our culture changes. 
Uh, and I think we need to try not to be that very thing that we have just finished laughing at you know, yeah. not very long ago. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I, I feel like I've, I've done way too much rambling at this point. I appreciate you having this conversation with me, but really what we're here to talk about is what you have done as a beautiful demonstration of leveraging the technology that is developing, using your phone to photograph for a client. And this is a really big client. I mean, you're talking about some of these big brands that Nathan photographed earlier. You actually had the opportunity to photograph a campaign for Panera. And, and just to kind of help give additional context to this, I'm gonna pull up your website here. And for anybody who's listening in or, or watching, uh, if you wanna to go to kimkovacic.com and uh, that forward slash Panera, uh, of course, we'll link to this in the show notes uh, at bocapodcast.com. Keep in mind, everybody, we're shifting over to Boca, but um, we'll link to this so that you can take a look at, at Kim's work there. But Kim, this was a, a massive opportunity for you. And again, a beautiful demonstration of what it is that we're talking about. I'd love to hear, first of all, just kind of some backstory. How did you even land on this opportunity that you'd be photographing an advertising campaign for one of the most well-known food brands here in the U.S.? Totally. Um, well, before I get into the specifics of that, I want to speak to the landscape of things that are going on around that, specifically in advertising. Please. Um, we spoke to it a little bit before, but basically the photo landscape in terms of advertising is shifting. Um, I kind of said this or started saying this before, but um, like I said, customers can sniff out commercialism. They can sniff out uh, any type of advertising you're trying to push onto them. And I think this is partially because we've, as customers, have been inundated since birth of, by all of these perfect images. You know, it's on your phone, it's on your TV, it's on your magazines, it's when you're driving down the street, it's, you know, everywhere you look is these perfect food styled, uh, perfectly edited photos of life. And well, gosh, life just doesn't really look like that, you right. know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, I like to coin this term um, that people are suffering from visual perfection fatigue. You know, they've only seen all these like hyper not real images. And so when they do see something that does speak to like, wow, this does look like my everyday life, that they're much more drawn to it. Um, and I think that's a huge opportunity for brands who understand that that's what's going on right now. Um, because when you do create content that does have more of that real element, it absolutely performs better. Like you can look at the, the data, it's night and day different. So that's the first thing that's going on in the industry. The second thing is the social media shift in terms of advertising. Um, I would specifically in terms of how brands advertise and use uh, content. So obviously with all the social media platforms nowadays, brands need so, so much more content than they needed in the past. Um, and they need, since they need so much more, they're not going to want to pay for, you know, a two second video that's thousands and thousands of dollars. Hmm. They need way more videos than that. You know, especially if it's, it's one thing if it's like a big campaign and, you know, an advertisement, but the, like a couple second video on Instagram, they're not going to want to pay, you know, 15 grand for. <laughs> yeah, that's a great and point. And so, yeah. And so basically, um, there's there's that aspect where brands are kind of like needing this kind of quick content uh, at an affordable price. And so that brings us to how did this all come about? 
Um, so knowing both of those two things, the agency I got to work with on this project, uh, they're called Super Bloom. They're an agency out of LA, extremely nimble, extremely forward thinking, and they're doing some really incredible things uh, and new things in the advertising space. So check them out if you want to. Um, but yeah, basically they came to me and they knew that Panera needed, um, they wanted this library of assets that they could get on a quarterly basis that it was focused on more real content. You know, stuff still looked good. Like the food needs to look good, of course, and the styling still needs to look good, but it's real and it's more lo-fi. Hmm. Um, and so they were the ones who came to me saying, we want to do this on a phone. And so, yeah, basically I worked with them um, and kind of helped create a style that felt real, um, but was in a way that was speaking to what brands need right now um, and, and in like a modern relevant way. Well, and, and again, I'm just going to, as we're talking about this, I'm going to pull this back up um, here on your side. I know you're going to get into some of the details, but you all can see this just kind of scrolling through the images. And again, if you go to Kim Kovacic, it's K-O-V-A-C-I-K.com and uh, then forward slash Panera, you can see the examples here. But it, it, it really does, and I know this is intentional, it, it does feel like you're almost just kind of scrolling through a grid on Instagram as opposed to um, you know, just simply the notion of, of looking at an advertising campaign, but that was the intention. They understand that their clients or potential clients, that is their behavior, that's where they're spending their time, they're used to mm -hmm. that format and that experience, and so naturally they're engaging with yourself and asking you to photograph something very comparable to that. Totally. And I, I've said it numerous times, but I'll continue to say it again, that brands want to be influencers and influencers want to be brands. The reason that brands want to be influencers is because there's that, like we were saying, human connection that even though influencers are also trying to sell you something too, part, partially, you know, sometimes, it just, it feels different and it, it it's done in a different way. And so if you can harness that and, you know, and really show that through, it's, it completely makes a difference into the content and how well the content performs. Now, you talked about the financial element, how much it costs to hire a photographer to create these short form content. And it's not a reality to be able to do that at scale. But we're also talking about a brand in Panera that probably isn't too short on money. So it's, it's really, totally. it's interesting. To, and, and I'm not pushing back on the idea. I would tend to agree with you. That makes a lot of sense, especially with the amount of content that has to be generated. But it's interesting still to consider such a large brand choosing to go the route of the iPhone instead of, or, or I'm assuming you're shooting with an iPhone. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm shooting with the, uh, the 14 Pro. The 14. Yeah. Which is, that's actually what I've got right here. It's an incredible phone. But whether iPhone or Android or otherwise, they're asking you to shoot with a phone and that's the aesthetic. It's not just about the cost savings. It's also kind of the aesthetic that they're that they're going for, which is something that's a little bit. I love I love that description, lo-fi. Something a little bit more mm -hmm. raw, not quite as refined, not as perfect, um, and and ultimately way more relatable to the people that they're trying to reach. And I, I think this is really important. They're actually thinking about the bigger picture. A lot of times, again, photographers will kind of let their ego, and I don't even mean ego like pride necessarily. But ego, just their personal subjective thought process, get in the way of what actually the client is looking for. They're not thinking about what the client, they're just like, I am this, this is my brand, I'm the artist, this is what I'm gonna do, this is how it should be. And the reality is, we, if we're, if we're gonna again, create a really incredible business that is sustainable and healthy over the long run, that's creating really great client experience, 
at least in most cases, that's going to require an open-mindedness to what the client is actually looking for, what they actually want or need. And if we're not open to that, it's going to be quite limiting. Panera is a great example of the fact that they're in touch with their end client and what it is that they're interested in. And to your point, they're, they're wanting to at least create some perception of that personal touch versus just being this corporation. And mm -hmm. so that's, this is, this is why this works. And I think it's a really cool example. Yeah, no, I honestly, I'm like very, very lucky to be able to work with a brand who they get it, you know, like that's what people want. That's what does well. And yeah, it, it's, it's really incredible. I think some brands are already starting to do this. Um, but I think we're going to see some more, you know, as it continues. Um, but yeah, also just talking on the, uh, the money aspect of it too, like, don't get me wrong, shoot like any photographer who knows, like when they're either shooting lifestyle or something like that, anytime you make something look real, there's actually a significant amount of work that goes into that. <laughs> sure. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's not, I guess, cheap by any means, but um, comparing it to, you know, even 20 years ago where just the cost of shoots were so, so much different. Um, yeah, and just keeping in mind that you can tier things differently as well, you know? So, you know, you could always find solutions for, for the modern day and what people are, and brands specifically are looking for. But, but again, if you had shot that in a very high production level studio set with crazy expensive gear, that would generate a different look and feel for the end consumer than had you shot it mm -hmm. with, you know, whatever setup. I, I totally get that there was a lot of design kind of behind the scenes that, that went into this particular shoot. But at the end of the day, you are shooting with your phone and whether it's conscious or subconscious, the end consumer is probably feeling that sensing it, that they see that and feel that. And it mm -hmm. feels a little bit more personal, a little more relatable. And that's actually what matters here and why this even works. So um, on that note, I'd, I'd love to get you talking about kind of the technical behind the scenes. Let's, let's actually talk about the technical elements that you were considering as you were approaching the shoot, because at the end of the day, as much as we're, we're, we're talking about um, the end client and how they perceive photos. And, and we, of course we can also talk about how most of the technical nuance that we as photographers are paying attention to 95% of our clients are not again um, to our conversation earlier with the snapshots in the refrigerator there, there's still a certain level of like, certainly professionalism, but then quality of imagery that we're, that we're looking to produce regardless of the tool that we're using. There's some intention there. And I know that you had to consider that using this tool. In fact, maybe even more so in some cases, because you may be compensating for some of the shortcomings that are innate to shooting with a phone versus, um, as I sometimes jokingly allude to the fancy camera. So <laughs> let's talk about those. And I think you mentioned to me, there were kind of four elements that, that drove what it was that you did for this shoot in order to make it, or in order to kind of accommodate the potentially technical shortcomings of the phone. And I'd love for you to walk us through those. Totally. Yeah. Um, so the first one I would just like to say too, I, so I shot these in raw, um, on the pro you can shoot in raw and you know, you hear commercials, you hear stuff like that. And you're like, especially as a photographer, you think, how good is that? You know, like, is it really actually that solid? And yeah. it's insane. It mm. truly is insane. Cause you're right. I had to, um, you know, just like getting a new piece of gear, I had to <laughs> practice with it and, uh, it was just crazy. My assistant and I were looking at some of the results of this when we were throwing it in post. And even though the image is obviously like a raw, it's flat when you see it. Um, and particularly flat with the iPhone, 
uh, it edited so nice. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to say even the photos were like 23 meg or something like mm -hmm. it was just unbelievable. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, so the second one, um, is, so I didn't actually shoot in cinematic mode or po portrait mode. Um, and again, keep in mind, like what I was using this for was, uh, more of that, like lo-fi aesthetic. Um, so I didn't want any depth of field. I wanted this to be like, you threw your phone up and it looks just like you're in your kitchen or in your living room or something like that. Um, the third thing I did, this was specifically for video because we shot a lot of video, um, is I locked my lighting uh, because I didn't want that to change if someone walked by, if, you know, the sun decided to do something crazy. Um, so, yeah, basically what you do is when you're shooting uh, before, you know, you click to shoot, uh, you press and hold the screen and then there's like a little lighting thing that comes up. You can adjust if you want it brighter or dimmer. Um, and then there's a function that it'll like lock onto mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. definitely couldn't have done this shoot without that, or I could have, but it would have looked a lot worse. <laughs> um, and so the last one, again, this is more so speaking to like the lo-fi nature of it. Uh, some stuff I shot locked down, but some stuff I shot handheld because I wanted camera shake. I wanted it to look like, well, I, like someone was holding their phone, which I guess I, I was holding my phone, but um, yeah, I broke a lot of rules and, mm. but I think it worked right. and I'm really happy with the results. So don't be afraid to break all the rules. They're meant <laughs> to be broken. <laughs> exactly. And plus it's a lot more fun. Sometimes we get to break some rules, right? Of course. <laughs> well, so let me just kind of, and I was taking notes as you were talking, let me kind of go back through each of these and maybe explore them, each one of them a little bit. So photographing in RAW, and you and I actually talked about this uh, on the, when we chatted on the phone the other day, the, the difference in file size is actually quite significant. And in fact, after, I think it was not long after you and I chatted, I actually took a couple of test shots because I'd experimented with the RAW files before, ultimately just was happy to stick with JPEG. After we had that conversation, I went and, and took a couple of test shots. The DNG file that you end up getting, the RAW file that you end up getting from the phone is literally 10X the size of the JPEG file. I shot the exact same scene, and in fact, just looking at the files right now, the JPEG was a 2.3 meg file, and then the DNG file was 20.8. So literally 10x, which is mind-boggling. Now, what's also interesting, and I won't pull this particular image now because I know streaming, you probably can't see, look really close to the detail, but there wasn't a significant difference in the immediate or mm. the visual, a significant visual difference um, between the two images, just glancing at that. And again, I've not only was I a professional photographer for 10 years, but I own an editing company. This is what we do. Yeah. Even so, I'm looking at this, I'm like, what is the big deal? Like, why, why is it that I'm going here? At the end, at the end of the day, like what you were talking about, I think is what is significant, which is the ability after the fact to be able to make adjustments in post. You definitely have more control, just like a raw file, of course, with, from a DSLR or a mirrorless camera. You do, you do have a lot more control, probably especially when you're pulling in some of the highlight details. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally, yeah. What, what would you say? I mean, was it the highlight details, the shadow details, or something else that you noticed that you had just a lot more control over because you were shooting in raw? Yeah, yeah. I would say highlight shadows, um, you know, color temperature, even though what we shot was like pretty, pretty basic. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, even though I'm like, oh yeah, you know, all game to use your phone. I still have that like old photographer mentality in the back of my head thinking like, could I have shot this all on a JPEG? Absolutely. But 
I don't know. You never know if a client's going to come back and be like, hey, we love this so much. We want to throw it up on a billboard. Like, hope you shot it in raw. And so <laughs> not that this is not going on a billboard, but um, right. but yeah, I, I guess I just mainly did it for, you know, some of those editing reasons, but just just in case, too. Yeah. Oh, no, that, that totally makes sense. I, I, I talk about breaking the rules. I, I tend to be a little bit of a what's the word? I, Maverick is probably too drastic or, or grandiose a word, but I just like to push back against ideas. And one of the things that I think about, um, even in context of this conversation, and, and I think it's very relevant because again, the, the tendency with these uh, in conversations, probably with professional photographers, they think about the phone is it's such a compromise. You know, the quality is just not the same. The sensors aren't as large, et cetera, et cetera. And I think back mm -hmm. to the first camera that, that I digital camera that we bought for our business in 2005, it was a Nikon D one X and it was a 5.9 megapixel camera. So not even a six megapixel camera. And the mm -hmm. dynamic range was terrible if you were shooting in tough lighting. You definitely had to work extra hard to kind of compensate for that. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I could, I mean, we did blow up, you know, 16 by 20s, 20 by 30, beautiful, yeah. beautiful prints on, from this camera that now we would consider absolute crap. Then mm -hmm. we were, we still made the best of it and we're able to generate beautiful images from it. And I just want to kind of throw that out there for the sake of perspective, for those listening in and considering the topic at hand which is that the reality is if you are aware of the technical elements, like we talked about before, we use AI to generate content, but we don't even have any baseline understanding of that content, it's not gonna be as effective. If we go in trying to shoot with our phone, but we don't even know the baseline technical elements of good photography, and we're trying to shoot with our phone, it's gonna be quite limiting. We could, if we understand those, it will enable us to be able to use these tools that may have certain shortcomings way more effectively. Absolutely. It really does make all the yeah. difference in the world, but okay. So photographing in raw and, and, uh, certainly there's some significant advantages like you were talking about to lo-fi aesthetic. And, and I'm curious to understand just a little bit more detail about how you went mm -hmm. about creating that aesthetic. Like what did that actually mean when you went to take the photo? What were you doing? I know you talked about it handheld and we'll get to that in a second, ah. but other than that, were there other elements, um, of your effort to capture that photograph that made it more lo-fi? Totally. Yeah. I would say this was more so in terms of like styling and then uh, directing like, you know, my models and stuff like that. Um, so in a lot of food photography, there are no crumbs. Everything is perfect. You know, like we've all seen the McDonald's burger that you have get in front of you looks very different than the one on the billboard. Um, and so I basically made sure anytime I was looking at a scene that I was like, I don't want any logos that are like, face like looking right at me. So if you look at any of my work, all the logos are twisted to the side because it just looks so much more like a brand shoot when, you know, Starbucks is right in the middle of the frame and you can see the logo perfectly. You can still see it. You still know it's <laughs> Panera, but it looks a little more like, you know, someone just set their, um, their cup down, uh, you know, cup. I mean, or sorry, I guess in terms of drinks too, specifically, um, I didn't want anything in frame that wasn't dirty or wasn't used in some way. So like uh, we had, we did some stuff with bagels and I made sure that the knife that was put on there had, was dirty and had cream cheese on it. Or the coffee cup uh, had like a lip marking on it. Mm, lipstick marking, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and then also in terms of models, you know, we got to, lucky enough, I got to work with a lot of like people I really love and like my friends. And so when we were on set, you know, I would just tell my friend, hey, eat that cookie like how you would eat a cookie. You know, <laughs> there's going to be crumbs that fall. 
maybe there was one scene where my friend like wiped her mouth like this. And I was like, that's perfect. That's mm. exactly what I want, you know, mm. like, and, um, I think it's me looking at the scene and making sure that nothing looks too precious. And if it looks too perfect, mess it up a little bit. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> actually, as you're talking, I'm noticing this picture on your site, uh, or it's actually a video, I guess, but where you're actually seeing the crumbs from that scone on the plate there. And that just creates a much more kind of organic look like you're talking about, a more natural look rather than being so absolutely perfect. Because we all know when we eat food at a restaurant or otherwise at home, like there's stuff falling on the plate. It's kind of messy. But the goal exactly. here was actually create some sense of realism, um, relatability, and you're doing that intentionally, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So the last thing that yeah. we need, again, is that perfect camera that's photographing everything just so perfectly. We do want that sense of realism and, and kind of day-to-day life that we actually know and relate to. That that really makes a lot of sense. Totally. And then number four, you talked about shooting handheld. And this is a really interesting one, especially in light of the notion of you know a so-called professional video or even photo. The expectation, at least in the photography world anyway, is that it's tack sharp. Like if there's certain, mid, mm-hmm. you know, even just a little bit of movement, a little bit of blurriness, oh, that goes out. We need to get something that's perfectly sharp. But you were intentionally shooting a handheld, which means that not everything will be exactly perfect when it comes to maybe even the sharpness of that image or that video. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I got that idea from, so like I was saying, how brands want to be influencers. Um, I actually looked at a lot, I I follow a lot of recipes and I, I mean, like I'm a big, big foodie as well. Um, And so I'm always following like food influencers and I was looking at their camera work and they're making these beautiful creations. Like I'm salivating looking at them, (laughs) but it's shot in a lo-fi way. Like you can tell it's just some chef holding up a phone and I love it. I want Mm. more of it. And so, Mm. yeah, I think, um, don't be afraid to shoot handheld either. Well, you know, I I really appreciate this conversation for multiple reasons. Um, if I guess the primary reason that I find it interesting though, is that we're challenging the rules, the so-called rules that you're talking about, the, Mm -hmm. the status quo, what most photographers in the photography industry expect. And again, it's very easy to get stuck there. Like we all hang out with other photographers. We read what other photographers are saying. We look at industry leaders and we're trying to follow their lead. And it's very easy to get stuck in that little bit of sound bubble where we're just kind of regurgitating the same thing over and over again to each other. Mm-hmm. And then there's the reality of the consumer market. And in many cases, we know that is not necessarily the same thing, right? The, mm-hmm. the clients, the end clients, whether they're corporations or a family down the street that wants a portrait session done, they're actually looking for, or even just expecting, even if it's subconscious, they're expecting a certain thing. And we as photographers just kind of tend to project all of our stuff onto them and assume that they need all these things that we've built up in our head. And the reality is that that may not actually be the case. At the very least, we need to be having conversations with our clients or potential clients to understand what they're actually looking for. And within those conversations, there might be opportunity to leverage tools, even like a phone, heaven forbid, um, that, <laughs> that we can use to capture those cli- or capture photos for those clients. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest asset you can have as a photographer or be is just, yeah, having your nose to the ground and keep it like, keep abreast of what's going on, you know, and actually listening to people actually like paying attention, you know, and um, I think it's, it's hard. You like, even while I was making this, like I was fully on board with 
you know, the vision and like, I could see it, but you can't help, but like, I, I look in some of the videos and I'm like, Oh, well, the, the lighting went a little bit blue. And I'm like that, you know, just little things, but I'm like, you have to just train your brain out of it and keep in mind, like, what's the actual goal of this and mm. just get out of your own way. You know, I love it. I think that's a beautiful summary for the conversation. Kim, I really appreciate you making time to share with us today, both your experience and your wisdom and your expertise. Um, and also just for entertaining me, I, I know this is a bit of a selfish conversation on my part. I just, I really wanted to go here. And I think your work is a beautiful example and demonstration of how certainly the culture is changing, the industry is changing, and there's opportunity to break some rules. Um, and it actually can work in everyone's favor. Absolutely. Well, for everybody <laughs> listening in, watching, I want to make sure that you go Check out Kim's website, Kim Kavacik. It's K-O-V-A-C-I-K.com. Make sure that you follow Kim on Instagram as well. Kim Kavacik on Instagram. We'll link to both of these in the show notes. Kim, thank you so much again for sharing with all of us. Really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you guys for having me. I love being on here and I hope, um, I hope it was helpful. <laughs>